But how shall men meditate in that which they cannot understand? How shall they understand that which is kept closed in an unknown tongue, as it is written, except I know the power of the voice, I shall be to him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian to me. The apostle expecteth no tongue, not Hebrew, the ancientest, not Greek, the most copious, not Latin, the finest. Nature taught a natural man to confess that all of us in those tongues, which we do not understand, are plainly deaf. We may turn the deaf ear unto them. The Scythian counted the Athenian, whom he did not understand, barbarous. So the Roman did the Syrian and the Jew. So the emperor of Constantinople calleth the Latin tongue barbarous, though Pope Nicholas do storm at it. So Jews, long before Christ, called all other nations, which is little better than barbarous. Therefore, as one complaineth, that always in the synod of Rome there was one or the other that called for an interpreter, so, lest the church be driven to the like exigent, it is necessary to have translations in a readiness. Translation it is that openeth the window to let in the light, that breaketh the shell that we may eat the kernel, that putteth aside the curtain that we may look into the most holy place, that removeth the cover of the well that we may come by the water, even as Jacob rolled away the stone from the mouth of the well, by which means the flocks of Laban were watered. Welcome, everyone. This is A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zell and Heidi to talk about Bibles. This is the official Word Fitly Bible buying guide, I guess you'd say. Zellwin, how are you? I'm doing well. You could say that this is literally Bible posting in the, in the best sense of that term, and I think right. it's going to be a great time. Right, and the introduction, um, clumsily read as it was, was, the, was from the translators to the reader from the King James Version. So the translators to the reader, I mean, every edition of King James should have that printed into it. So it's a great volume and uh, a great introduction. <laughs> Actually, every Bible translation should have it. <laughs> just it's almost as inspired as the bible itself is that what you're saying almost. here really one, one rung below one <laughs> rung below well Zoan, how's it going out there has winter hit yet no we're still waiting on winter at least at the time of this recording and i don't know what's going on it's being a very unusual year for us we usually have at least some kind of snow on the ground at this point but it's still pretty dry so we're praying that snow would actually come so that we can get the moisture which our you know crops in the springs are actually going to need. So we're we're still waiting, but otherwise otherwise things are are going well. What about you, Willie? Oh, just mild here. Uh, not too much going on. Feels kind of like fall right now, to be honest with you. And that's okay. We can live with that. I don't know. It's it's a good year. I mean, in the sense of the weather and stuff like that. It's something to give thanks for. I don't want to be totally negative about it because you know that we don't. There's so much negativity going on around about everything going on this year. So yes, there there are good things happening even with the weather. You know, it is mild in that way, but we can look forward to when winter actually does come. Well, we're in that in that time where it's you know 20 degrees one day, 50 degrees the next, and so everybody's walking around with a bit of a dry cough, and immediately uh, you're treated as a leper. Everybody thinks you have the coof. <laughs> and it's it's an interesting feel, really, to 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 see people so readily shunned. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is what it is. It is what it so, is. What are you gonna do, right? Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what you can do if you're forced quarantined at Bayonet Point or whatever comes down the pike. Uh, you can read your Bible. <laughs> Always <laughs> a good time to read the Bible, Bayonet or not. Right. That's right. Um, you you shouldn't need to be uh, <laughs> forced to do it. You should you should want to do it. But one of the things that makes Bible reading so much better, so much easier, so much more beneficial, is if we have a good avenue by which we receive it. Right. So, obligatory mention that you will go to church on Sunday, and you will hear the word of God preached, and you will hear the word of God read, and you will receive it that way. But there's the other six days of the week. And there are all those Bibles on your shelves collecting dust. Take up and read. Pull one off, dust her off, and read it if you're not doing it already. But 
My point is, we believe that a good Bible is more likely to get read than one that is harder to read. And so there are many things that goes into what is a good Bible, and this is mostly subjective, although I would argue some things are objective. <laughs> Full yap is, is a non-negotiable, and, uh, and it should be in a language that you understand. <laughs> I'll agree with half of that statement, but, but go on. <laughs> right. So, so we're going to talk about some of these things, because this is a question that we actually hear from time to time. What is a good Bible to get? What's a good Bible to buy? Where can I find a good Bible? And that's a that question's different depending on who can ask it. Sometimes what is a good Bible means which translation is, is good. Sometimes what is a good Bible means uh, what has the best bonus features, right? Study notes or cross-references. Uh, sometimes it's it's quite simply what is the best binding? Who who can put together a Bible that looks good, that will last, and you know that can they can stand up to heavy use. So all of these things we're going to talk about. And we'll, you know, come into the Word Fitly posting group if you want to engage in a longer discussion on that or, or shoot us an email or something. We're happy to happy to discuss certain ones at length because what's perfect for me may not be perfect for you, and that's fine. Although there are some Bibles uh, that we would say to avoid, and we'll, we'll get to those uh, as we come to them. So, Zelwyn, first and foremost, when we're looking for a Bible, what's the most important aspect of it? I suppose the, the the most important aspect, the first thing to consider above all would be most likely the translation that you're going to use, right? I mean, because we want something that is reliable. We want something that is accurate. We want something that is going to, that we is easy for us to read. And so with all of those things together, what we're actually, the, the words that we're actually reading on the page are going to be you know, the kind of the, the, the primary consideration. Would you agree? Yep. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And we don't want to get too bogged down into the minutia on this, or maybe we do. What makes a good <laughs> translation? Yeah. And you see, that's, that's really the debate here because there's, there's always kind of been one of two philosophies with translation. You can either have something that is essentially literal, that you're, tr- you're getting as close as possible to the original language that you are translating from. But the problem with that is, is that when you do that, sometimes you end up with something that sounds awfully wooden or awfully strange in the language you're translating to, because it's never just a one-for-one one kind of a thing. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have what's called you know, more a more readable kind of translation, something a little bit more dynamic is the technical term. And that's the idea that you aim for making it a very good expression in its new language, but you end up, but the, the trade-off is that you might end up distorting some of the things in the original. Yeah. Now, I personally tend to lean a little bit more towards the literal kind of an end of things, um, you know, the, the closer to the original language, because then it's a little easier to, you know, th- to see what's going on in the Greek or the Hebrew of the original languages. But at the same time, there's been plenty of times where I'll be reading in, in, in a translation like that and go, you know, what exactly was that again? You know, because it's just, it's not good English. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, correct. So you can get too far away from the original text, however, and it, it becomes an interpretation more than anything. And that's unavoidable in any translation, but you would hope that it could be kept reasonably to a minimum. Right. Um, but the whole interpretation versus translation thing has been part of the debate ever since Bibles first began be, to be translated out of out of the original tongues. And so there are things I would I would caution against uh, certain translations. I mean, something like the Message probably isn't good. I think the NLT, the New Living Translation, has some some issues. Why would you why would you caution against those ones in particular? I believe they just stray too far from the text or they they oversimplify things. Um, I understand the people's need. They'll read other translations and say, well, this is too hard for me to understand. I would say push through that. And I would say that even for a child's translation, I, I believe that a, bi- a Bible that you gift a child should be the same translation they're hearing at church or hearing in the home. So let them grow into that Bible. And even as an adult, wow, this you'll say, man, some of this language is difficult. Well, that's on you. You know, grow into that. And, and don't just um, go for a translation that is marketed as simpler or somehow more vibrant. 
And and so without getting because the this episode really doesn't permit us to get into specific translation differences or, or even errors, uh, but some of these translations certainly have them, and they certainly come from like like the message seems to have some ulterior motive, uh, and I think it just wants to be hip, and the New Living Translation wanted to do that too, but it wanted to do it in the seventies when it was in its original uh, incarnation. But if if you get, like I said, too far from the text, it ends up becoming way too much of merely an interpretation. I mean, you can get into the goofy translations like the cotton patch and things like that. We're not really <laughs> those serious for discussion here. Right. But when you look at the biggies, so you, you'll have something like the Blessed King James Version, New King James, <laughs> New King James, uh, ESV, English Standard Version, New American Standard Bible, and New International Version. Sure. For, for a long time, the New International Version was king. It is starting to wane. I believe the English Standard Version has really cut into its marketplace a lot uh, because the NIV in its newer upgrades has gone to some gender neutral language and things like that. So it's starting to go drift, it's starting to drift leftward. And what they're doing is they're publishing these editions without notifying you what edition it is in many cases. Right. And so you think you're picking up NIV 84 and you get the new one. Right. Um, right. New American Standard Bible has been very solid since the 70s. And, and even with its 1995 update, it is a very literal translation, cl- much closer to a word for word. But it, too, has adopted some of these problematic things in its 2020 version, at least in my opinion. So if I was going for a New American Standard, I would go with a, a 1995 or earlier version. The English Standard Version, the people who translate it remain largely conservative, and yet its text has has undergone several revisions, and it's only been around since the early 2000s. So some of these things are in flux, and I think that that's a little bit of a danger, that you might end up having a Bible with the same name but with a different text. Though I would say, at least as of 2016, the, ES, the ESV, the English Standard Version, now has what they call the permanent text edition. So I think the drift on that one has stopped, or at least it has yeah, stopped for a fair. particular version. So, yeah, that's or, fair. So just wanted to throw that out there, but, but go on. You know, that's fair. Uh, but the thing is, it, it had several you know, rather quick changes. R- Right. Um, the King James had basically one major revision in the 1700s. So it went from 1611, the big one in the 1700s. There was another one possibly in the 19th century that you might lay your hands on. But for all intents and purposes, it's remained largely un, unscathed. The, the New King James Version you know, is pretty static as well. Right. That's kind of a minor quibble, but it could turn into a big one if you find yourself with something like the NIV. Personally, I've never found the NIV to read very well. Hmm. I mean, I guess when it comes with the, to the NIV, the older versions of it at least, I don't mind it so much. I mean, it is something that does aim for more better English kind of language, and that can be helpful for some people. But we do, like you say, you do want to avoid the most recent versions of it, which are starting to drift leftward, as you said. Yeah, I mean, because gender-neutral language has its problems and, and certain other things. It's it's not going the way of, like, New Revised Standard or, or something like that. You're, you're not getting virgin changed to young lady or maiden or something, or young lady or right. something like that. But right. you never know. So there are good. Now, a lot of us in our have switched to the English Standard Version in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod because that's what all of the publications are using now. And so while we may prefer another translation for certain reasons, we've gone to the English Standard Version for the sake of consistency. And I do think there's something to be said for that. Sure. But I do prefer the manuscript tradition of the New King James Version. I prefer the manuscripts that were used by the church. Yeah, just 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 to clarify what what you're talking about there, just going to show you how deep we can go with every in, in, with everything in this. There's two main school of thoughts when it com- schools of thought when it comes to the manuscripts, like the, the Greek manuscripts where we get the New Testament from. One is basically saying that we'll go with the majority of them and whatever the majority of them are saying over time, that is what the Greek text originally was because you know there have been little scribal errors and little scribal mistakes here and there. So how do we know what was the original? 
Whereas the other side says, well, we'll go with the oldest versions of those manuscripts, and those will be the most likely to be accurate. Most modern translations go with that school of thought, which is saying the older version is the more reliable one. Yeah, the one not used, yeah. The, yeah, well, yeah, the one that never actually existed. But right. <laughs> but the point is, is that that's why you see some Bibles, like the ESV is does this in some places, where it will put a verse in the footnotes and say that, you know, it's only some manuscripts have this. And First so, John 5, 7 would be the, like a quick, you know, something like A real like quick that. example. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the whole, the whole idea is, is that scholar, the scholars who were working with that think that that verse didn't exist in these oldest manuscripts. And for that reason, they just relegate it to a footnote. That's a problem all in itself. I don't think we're going to have time to really get into, but the the whole po- but the other side where the new king james and the king james version is that majority text uh, approach which is saying let's take all of the you know the byzantine texts and let's go by what they say the majority of they say and that will be our bible is it a good time to talk about the septuagint versus the masoretic text and which one <laughs> which one uh, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we could we could really get all I'm saying up. is, I quote the manuscripts that the church fathers used, and I quote the Old Testament that Jesus used. So, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, we could we could really get deep into this here, right? Now, this is not to say that that all translations based upon you know all the newer translations are corrupt because of that. There's still overwhelming consensus between the manuscript bodies, and that needs to be made very clear. Right. Uh, this is where people creep in and say, oh, we'll see the Bible's not reliable. Well, no, I mean, they're virtually identical. Yeah, we're, we're talking the difference of like a word or two here and there, and on occasion, a whole verse that they think might be something newer. Yeah, the, the, the woman caught, caught in adultery is probably the biggest one. Right. Uh, in this right. debate. And, right. and no, no Bible translation is brave enough to try to remove that. <laughs> they know better. They might bracket it, but they won't. So yeah, so pick a good faithful translation. I do believe the English Standard Version is faithful. I believe the NASB 95 and back are solid. And uh, the New King James Version and the King James Version. People might quibble about how the King James translates certain words. And that's fine. I get it. We get it. You're a smart guy. But, you know, it is a touchstone as far as, far as our shared language goes. It's very important. And its style is important too. And that can't be discounted. It, it does not even, re- King James doesn't even represent an English that was necessarily spoken. That's how closely it follows the languages sometimes. Sure. And and that's well, something to, um, that's something to hold on to, I think. Well, and, and with the King James too, when you are dealing with its wording and the way that it says things, it has shaped our language in a way that no other translation ever will. It's kind of like Shakespeare in in that sense, in the the way that it actually continued to shape how we began to speak English itself. So it really is part of our our heritage, really. Yeah, and and I would put a quick note on here. I know we're coming to the end of the first segment, but New King James and King James Version are... Uh, well, the New King James is not simply an update of the King James Version. It's an entirely new translation that follows in the footsteps of the King James Version. Right. So it is different. And so it's not just a, mo- a modernized version or anything like that, although certain, although such things exist. I mean, you, you could argue that the, uh, the ASV, the American Standard Version, which is yeah. kind of the ancestor of the English Standard Version, you know, that was itself a revision of the King James. So, I mean, correct, the King James correct. is, <laughs> the King James yeah. really does influence everything is what Every, I'm saying. Everything. And, and the ESV, actually, if, they st- if they're still printing this in their preface, they mention that, their lineage. And they try to trail of blood it back to the King James Version. And they do that <laughs> you know, through the, the ASV. And if you can find an ASV, it's a very cool translation or revision, uh, pick it up and, and check it out. You can still get them on eBay and use bookstores at fairly reasonable prices. So, right, you know, we're checking out. Well, all right, we're up on our first break. We'll be right back with more uh, Bible question and question and answer after this. 
Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi talking about Bibles. What to buy, what to read, what's going to be best for you. And we can't promise that it won't break the pocketbook, though. But maybe. Maybe we can find some budget options by the time it's all over. All right. (laughs) So we just talked about a lot of the major translations. Uh, There was one omission uh, from the last segment. Uh, We want to talk about this because these people are friends of the podcast. And that is the Evangelical Heritage Version, or the EHV. Zellin, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you can go back and listen to the whole episode that we had with John Brugg on the, that question of what the EHV is and kind of the, the whole purpose of that. But it's a translation produced by the Wisconsin Synod, and it's you know recently come out. I think it's still kind of a little bit in flux because they're still trying to really get you know a, a polished result out of it. But it is a good, more dynamic kind of translation, something that aims for a little bit better readability. And it is something that the Wisconsin Synod is using pretty widely, from what I understand. You know, a lot of a lot of them had been using the NIV, but now they're kind of shifting towards this EHV because it's something they produced in-house. So Right. Well, yeah, well they're kind of they're kind of big on mentioning that it's not officially a Wells translation, but <laughs> Right. Right. Know. I mean, we want it to go out and to be widely used and certainly any Christian could use it, but it is a translation produced by the Wells Synod. Well, what's your what's your um, appraisal of it so far? I know you've been using it a little bit. Yeah, I've I've used it a little bit, and I and I, it's it's a good translation. It's something that is certainly worthwhile to get, and it it is certainly very readable. Because I know one of the things that they emphasized with it is that they used it in public, they developed it, translated it with public worship in mind, so it reads out loud very well. That being said, because it is such a, a niche kind of translation, and I don't mean that negatively, you know, it just doesn't have a very wide circulation. It doesn't have a lot of publishing options right now, and that's okay. You know, if you're just looking for a good readable Bible, maybe that's something to look into. Yeah. So uh, to, to kind of wrap the translation up, we are recommending, you know, ESV, King James, New King James, NASB, and as far as readily available ones, and you know, EHV. Right. We would say to avoid New Living Translation, Message, those kind of Bibles. I would add the Amplified Bible into that, uh, because I find the Amplified Bible to just be kind of confusing, the way it gives you four or five options for every other word, however you want to translate. It's like like a thesaurus mixed with a Bible. It's very interesting, but a little confusing. Sure, sure. You know, pick a good translation, and if you have an NIV laying around, don't don't treat it like the boogeyman or don't treat it like something to be shunned. If that's what you have, you know, read it. And if you don't, you know, or, or crib a King James from a, a Gideon Bible from a hotel or something, I don't know, but (laughs) (laughs) you can find, you can find something to read. All right. Well, so enough on translation, because we could go on and on forever about that. Let's talk about just Bibles proper. Now there's going to be two main kinds of Bibles what we're going to call a regular Bible, because we can't say a reader's Bible, because that gets a little confusing marketing-wise, but kind of just text-based Bibles and then study Bibles. And right. what would you, you know, initially we're going to say, well, let's see what we're going to say. What, what are your thoughts on one or the other? Yeah, I certainly understand the attraction of a study Bible. It's something that has a long history in the church where you have the main text of the Bible and you have kind of notes surrounding it. 
trying to explain what things mean or, you know, what is what does this phrase mean or what does this word mean or what does this passage mean? And it's kind of a, a quick and rough guide to understanding the Bible. And I understand why somebody would want that. I, I get it. You know, it is it's nice to have a quick answer sometimes. You know, what does this mean? And I just kind of want to get to it so that I can continue to understand what the Bible is saying. But at the same time, there's a lot of study Bibles where the, the, the notes outweigh the text by far, and it can be very difficult to read, especially if it's not laid out very well. And I would even go so far as to say that with the wrong kind of study Bible, you can actually be led astray in your understanding. Because, you know, all of these notes that go along with it are not inspired, of course. You know, they are written by people trying to explain what God has said. And that can be very helpful. But, I mean, we owe dispensationalism as a whole movement to a study Bible, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, the Schofield <laughs> Reference Bible. Yeah. And so, yeah, these <laughs> these kind of study Bibles can really guide interpretation in a negative way if we're not careful. Right. I prefer to look at study Bibles as, I mean, obviously they're supplementary, but treat them kind of like commentaries. It's it's easy to just start relying on the notes as these grand interpreters. And we've seen this in Bible studies before where we're trying to explain the text and somebody's like, well, my Concordia self-study Bible says this, right? Or my Ryrie study Bible has this. And that's fine if you're just making a point, but if you're saying because the study notes say this, that's the definitive interpretation. That could be a little bit dangerous. And and obviously right. not all study Bibles are created equal. We're not going to tell you to go out and buy a Schofield study Bible. Right. But, but even heresy aside, there are ones that are just lacking or not printed well, not or not organized well, too. And so, yes, they, they have a place. They can be helpful, but you can also get bogged down in the extra material. It can, if we're not careful, distract from the text itself. Right. Right. Which is why I, if I had to pick one, I would go for what you would call more of a, a regular Bible or, you know, just the Bible text itself. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're not always going to have that quick answer that you might like. But at the same time, you know, that's as kind of as you said earlier, you know, push through it kind of thing. You know, keep reading, go forward. Don't get bogged down in the details right now. Make a note of it and then come back to it later. And I think you'll find with just the Bible text itself, without anything else with it, just repeated usage will answer a lot of a lot of the questions you might have. You know, yeah. just being familiar with the Bible itself. Yeah. And so I guess you could say in between those two, you do have reference Bibles. And those are going to be Bibles that have scriptural cross-references in them. And I think those can sure. be helpful if you know how to use them. And yeah. and and they and they help. And in some ways, I think that that's a little bit healthier than just the study notes. Uh, and I don't want to dig on certain study Bibles. I'm just saying they're not all created equal. <laughs> Other than the Schofield, we don't want to, you know, that definitely avoid. But I think if I start coming down too hard on certain study Bibles, I'm kicking people's dogs, and we don't want to do that just yet in the episode. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, I was, we we got to get to the third section, and then we'll start kicking. Don't start kicking dogs. But we got to be honest, because not only now is is your are we talking about your spiritual well being, but we're also talking about your financial well being with some of these purchases, and so. But we'll right. get into that a little bit later. So we are kind of advocating being careful with study Bibles, looking into reference Bibles, or just a clean text, and that kind of gets us into what we would call a reader's Bible, which is a single column setup, sometimes put in paragraphs with no no notation at all. Sure. And I think though I think that there's something very healthy about that. My only complaint is that some of them don't have all of the verse numbers. And right. So I, I think for learning the Bible, you lose a lot when you when you get rid of those. But there is something to be said about sitting down and reading the Bible through like a book. And so I am growing more and more to like these single column setups. Right. And and yeah, I mean that we're kind of lumping a whole bunch of issues together here, which is totally fine. But the these there's also reader bibles who do, which don't have any kind of notation at all there's no there's no chapter numbers there's no headings there's no verse numbers or anything and I, yes those things aren't inspired 
They were added much later to the Bible. You know, we've had chapter numbers since about, what, the 500s or so, and verse numbers only since about the 1500s or so, somewhere in there. I mean, I'm, I'm just roughly estimating. So it is something that came much later as a way of, you know, moving quicker through the Bible. And I get that. You know, sometimes they can be a little bit distracting and actually shape the way that we understand the Bible. But at the same time, taking them away completely when we've had them now for five centuries is going to potentially cause just as much confusion as as having them. Right. You know, it's just it's become how we understand the Bible and we don't want to we don't want to tamper with that. And really, the big thing is usability. And so for some people, the single column approach might not work. The vast majority of Bibles are going to be two column and many people prefer that. There are practical reasons they prefer it. And then there is just the fact that we're familiar with it. And so our eyes are used to it. Our eyes can find things easier with a two column. And so whatever is easiest for you, one column, two column, but just understand that there is a plethora of, of options out there today. We've never in history probably had the variety we do as far as these options go. Right. And I, I, I guess I'll come out and say maybe a little bit more strongly you know, I think there is something to be said for a single column Bible. I'm kind of a, a single column evangelist, as it were. <laughs> I think that it is something worth seriously looking into because as far as just readability, it is, in my opinion, a, a better version than the two column. That doesn't mean that the two column is somehow bad or that you have an inferior Bible. That's not my point at all. But when we are able to read the Bible, especially at great length, I think that a single column has an advantage over two. Well, That's I, just me. I, I prefer don't. it for use in the pulpit as well. For me, it works right. much better. It's You've got a bigger text window there that you're looking at. Once you get used to right. it, I think things are easier to find. You don't have to squint. The only problem is sometimes the single column format, the Bibles tend to be a bit thicker for obvious reasons. Right. You get less text on a page. Right. But if you're if you're looking for a preaching Bible, I think you seriously need to look into that. Right. That said, the greatest Bible ever made, the Allen KJV Long Primer, <laughs> will is double column. So, you know, right. take it take, right. take it for what you want. <laughs> but my current Bible that I use from the pulpit is a single column. It's the actually the ESV Preaching Bible. It's set up for preaching. I think they were they saw all the money the NASB made on their preacher's Bible and wanted to get a cut of that. But it is set right. up uh, to be used from the pulpit. The text is aligned on each side of the page. There's very little bleed through. There's some generous uh, margin there on the page. It's just excellent for, for its intended use. And I think it would be an excellent devotional Bible as well. Well, and, and maybe, you know, since you're talking about preaching, um, my own Bible that I use for preaching, which is a ESV Cambridge Clarion, is a single column Bible with a lot of the things that you were talking about there, you know, no bleed or very little bleed through because of the way that they line up the text. And I, I do find that single column to be very easy to preach through as you're going through a text, because like you say, it's right there. You know, you have it right in front of you. It's, it's a lot easier for me to find as opposed with the two column where I got to think, you know, is it up over in this corner? Is it down over in this corner? Or, you know, wherever it is that I'm trying to find things. But with a single column, it's a it's a lot easier to find that verse that you're working with, whatever it is on, on the page. Now, a lot of the preaching Bibles that I've seen other, you know, that are more geared towards that specifically actually separate the, the verses out. So that there, there's not paragraphs. I don't know. Does does yours do that, Willie, or not? Does it separate it into paragraphs? Do or, you have paragraphs, or do you have it verse by verse on the it's page? It's not verse by verse. It is more of a paragraph. Yeah, you can get the single column where it's just line, line, line. No, it's but it, it is separated into paragraphs. But it's not a what is sometimes called a paragraph Bible without numbers. Right, right. Yeah. But I I've, I've seen preaching Bibles where it does that line by line where each yes. verse is on its yes. own line. And I right. think that can also be something that be very helpful for people. But that's not what mine does. And uh yeah, I mean really, I I wouldn't complain if it was set up that way. But it's not. It's set up paragraph style. Sure. Okay. But w- what about if we're not preaching though, Willie? How would you I mean, would these things that we we're talking about still be beneficial for the reader? Yes, I think so because it's it's formatted in such a way that it re- that it's like a regular book, 
So you're reading mm-hmm. like you're used to. Are you talking as far as single column goes? Anything. Yeah, what we've been talking about. But even if you're using double column, I think some you need to look at some things. Um, look at the paper. I do think having that text alignment front and back of the page is important so that you can make it legible. You need to buy something right. in a font that you can actually read. It needs to be right. big enough and printed well enough. Sometimes you get into the teeny tiny Bibles, the text is is so faint that it's hard to read and it becomes frustrating. And I think that that frustrates Bible reading. So sure. that so that if it becomes a chore to do simply because it's like literally hard to read, hard to see, then you're not going to pick it up. So get right. something sufficient. You know, if you're going to pack it around, you might look at a smaller one. You might not. You might just get a bigger. Uh, you might just get a bigger bag to lug it around in. So, th- so there's just a lot to think about. But yeah, find something that that is printed well, and find something that is bound well. And we'll get into the question of book bindings uh, in the in the third segment. But you're going to want something with a cleaner text, something that doesn't distract you. And so I would look at something from the the major publishers. You know, the Cambridge editions. Allen Bibles, Schuyler is very, very good as well. Uh, things like that. I mean, even Crossway has some great stuff out there uh, because they print Bibles and they know what makes a good Bible. Some of these theme Bibles, that, like the Extreme Teen Study Bible or <laughs> the American Patriots Bible or the Filipino Fireman's Bible or whatever that you see floating out there, those can be a little bit distracting for me and they follow again, into that study Bible thing, but they take the study Bible thing and make it far too niche, you know? Right. Like we don't want the weeb study Bible or something like that. Or maybe we do. <laughs> maybe we do. I think it would I'm... sell. I think it would sell. I, I recant what I said it's on the pro- last one. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably, somebody out there is probably making it right now. Somebody's I mean, making you know it and, and so. some of our fans are buying it and we love you. That's what we're saying. We love you just the same. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, something something like that. That you know, there are, there's probably a based study Bible out there, but some of them just become too too kitschy, and we want to be a little careful. And and that's all we're saying. Now, with the last few minutes here, because we've talked so much about kind of the printing aspect of it, we're going to get into that a lot more in the next segment. Somebody's going to say, "Well, I have an audio Bible, or I have an electronic one on on my phone." And what do you think about electronic Bibles? I think. Well, I mean, I use electronic Bibles in my study, you know, because they are very good for finding things very, very quickly, especially if I have kind of a fuzzy notion of what something says. And that happens probably far more often than I care to admit, where I, you know, kind of have an idea of what a verse is, but I can't remember exactly where it is. Where does it say, the Lord helps the man who helps himself? Yeah, And then you find out that that's poor Richard's almanac, not... uh... <laughs> and then you find it in Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Right. Um or or you know when it's like okay, I know that there's a verse that kind of goes something like this and I can plug it into my electronic bible and I can find oh yeah, okay, so it's this verse in particular, you know. It's very good for those kinds of things. Yeah. But as far as sitting down and actually just reading the bible like devotionally, I think that it's going to cause a lot of strain. I think that, you know, well, I think that's true of just any kind of electronic reading in general. There's nothing that can really replace a printed book. Yeah, there's no blue in line in a, in a printed book. Right. And, and so, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're advocating like we're, we're one bad episode away from just saying go back to scrolls printed on animal skins. <laughs> the codex was the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> right. what we're saying here. So. No, I, and so... If you have an electronic Bible, that's fine. If you have an audio Bible, that's fine too. I find audio Bibles great for like when you're driving around and you want to listen to something. But really, these should be supplements to the printed Bible that you have, that you use, that you read regularly, right? Sure. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and so that's why we're not going to get into a you know a protracted discussion. Use them in their proper sphere. They're good for research. They're good for putting a bulletin together. They're excellent for quick references, things like that. But get used to holding a Bible in your hand or putting it on your desk or putting it on your lap or whatever. Get used to it. When you find one you like, make that your Bible or the family Bible, as it were. Any Bible is going to do in a pinch. I want to be clear. A lot of what we're talking about here is just the ideal. 
you know, if money's no object, right. if I could go to a printer and get exactly what I wanted, this is what it would look like. Right. Not think that we are in any way casting aspersions because you're using a beat up paperback giveaway edition of the English standard version, or all you have is the hardcover pew edition or something like that. Those are perfectly serviceable and there's nothing in the world wrong with reading those and having those. This is just simply, you want to buy one. This is what we think would be good. This is what we think would make it the best experience possible for you. And that's, and with that all being said too, it's also important to say that the worn out paperback Bible that you've been reading front to back and is falling apart that's a that's a godly thing, okay? We're not saying, you know, buy the expensive Bible and then never use it kind of thing because you that's that's not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible that you wear out, you know, that is is falling apart is something that is going to bring back all kinds of good things for you. You know, I wear it out. <laughs> if you're using a Bible enough to the point where it's falling apart, that's a good thing. That's all I'm saying here. So, <laughs> Amen. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all them that trust in Him. The book that sits on your shelf, the one gathering dust, word fitly spoken, asks you to once again take up and read. Hear the words of the only wise God and be saved. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi with your Bible buying guide. So we've talked about a little bit about typesetting. We've talked about translations. If you're still with us and not asleep, and I know you're all taking notes, now we're going to talk about Bible construction. We have Zellwin here with us, who is a real-life <laughs> professional bookbinder. I wouldn't go Which is still a thing. But... <laughs> well, you don't do it for free, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> then you then you as a pro, my friend. Oh, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that means we're that actually means we're amateur podcasters. That's okay. <laughs> Some things no, is no, okay no, to no, be no, 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 no. We're not amateurs. We are nonprofit podcasters. There we go. <laughs> we are no Gibbs, no Gibbs podcasters. <laughs> uh, no, it's you don't it's, hear the ringing of a of a tin can at, at the end or beginning of any of our shows. <laughs> we we keep things nice and above above board. But anyway, the the point is is that yeah, so we we actually have some fairly strong opinions on how a Bible should actually be put together, and there's a reason for that because as we've kind of been hinting all along, if you don't have a Bible that is put together very well. I mean, yeah, you can still use it. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's going to fall apart and it's not actually going to be a good investment in the long run. But if you're willing to invest in a well-made Bible, something that is bound well, it could even be something you hand down to your children. And that's something that is very, very wholesome because then they'll have something yeah. that they can cherish forever. Right? Right. Right. And so the number one thing, I'm just going to come out and say it, you need to get a leather Bible. Sure. Yeah, I would. I would if, agree. If it, it needs to be real leather, mm -hmm. and you know, not um, like a leatherette or, or one of these things, and not bonded leather, but leather. And and I have to recommend, in all sincerity, goatskin. Sure, Highland goatskin. Sure, a uh, goatskin makes an. It's just an excellent material for a book cover. If it's bound well and you have a good goatskin leather, uh, it'll it'll roll up on itself. It's kind of amazing, an amazing thing to see. <laughs> and and so very durable, and I and I do think a little bit of a yap. Now, Zellin, tell us what a yap is. <laughs> a yap is where the cover extends out further than you would see on a typical book cover. 
So you have a Bible that looks like it has very loose edges, uh, something yeah, that, that would be a full, what we call a full gap. Right. And yeah. And so even if they almost come to almost like it has its own um, book uh, cover or bookcase, you know, what you know, those zip up kinds or whatever that you can sometimes get, you know, I, I, I personally don't like them very much, but I know. <laughs> I don't think you sold that well at all. <laughs> <laughs> when you compared it to a zipper, it's an elegant, it's an elegant touch on a classy Bible from a from a bygone age. I... And so you you have the edges of, of leather going over, almost folding in on itself to protect the book. Go look at the Allen Long Primer; you'll see what I'm talking about. And you may say, "Hey, I don't like that," and you're free to be wrong. This is America for another couple months, okay? So. If if you couldn't tell, uh, the perceptive listener will notice that Willie and I have come to blows on this particular question. So, yeah, we've actually put each other on the minor ban uh, for now. We cannot community churches until we settle this uh, this leather issue. This is, it's when we start talking about this stuff. I promise you, this is not a uh, audio. This is not the BBC Radio uh, edition of Rain Man or anything. This is, this is really what we talk. But so anyway. Goat skin is good, however, whatever length of yap you want. And uh, cowhide is actually kind of cool. I would really like to see a bison skin one someday, and I know somebody makes one, and I can't believe Zelwyn doesn't offer it. Yeah, I know. I, I can't afford those kinds of leathers. Those are really, really expensive leathers to get, especially for uh, something used that you could use in binding, because leather that you use in binding has to be incredibly thin, and whereas, you know, leather that you use in other applications can be quite a bit thicker. So, yeah, like yeah, the leather used in a, in a, in a good Bible is going to be different from a good holster. Right, 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 right. Much, much thinner. Or, and for or, that or, reason, or much more expensive. Leather. Yeah. Yeah. Although I would mention, and this maybe is coming from my binding experience, you know, do look for something. If you're going to buy a leather Bible, like you say, something that's goat skin, you don't want to have what's called. Uh, genuine leather, and you don't want to have what's genuine called leather, right? bonded leather. Both bonded, of those yeah. things are manufactured leathers. Yeah, those are the leathers that, like your Aunt Vicky, that's what her cigarette case was made out of. <laughs> you remember? It looked like a coin purse, but it was just the right size. They stuck a pack of cigarettes in. There was a pocket for the lighter on the outside. Right. Nobody else? <laughs> I know what you're talking Some about. Some of my listeners feel me on that. <laughs> but but the, the point is, is that bonded leather in particular is... They take pieces of left leftover leather, they kind of grind it up a little bit, they glue it, and then they press it. So that's what makes it bonded. It's been bonded together, kind of reformed into a new sheet. It's the particle board of leathers. Of leathers, yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it serves its purpose, but it is, it's like particle board. You know, it's something you only want to use for certain applications. Yeah, and, and it's fine, yeah, but it's just, you can tell the difference if you're, if you have the two side by side. Oh, absolutely. Because I think with a a truly goat skin Bible, especially one that is kind of more of a flexible cover, it actually has a break in period like any other leather product, which I think is just amazing that, you know, with, with your Bible, you're going to have to use it so that it actually becomes more flexible the way that a glove would over time. You know, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> and some of these features are hard to find on on every Bible. Like you take something like the Cambridge Concord. Like they've got a beautiful KJV Concord. It's got a full yap, goat skin cover, and then wah, 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 it's a red letter edition. Right. You know, it's, it's nothing. Very few Bibles are, are perfect. Uh, well, that, that boy, that's a sound bite. I don't want taken out of context. <laughs> very few printings like this have everything that you want in them. Right. And I would say this. Do not assume that because a Bible is expensive that it's good. Right. Right. Uh, you will pay more for the premium features we're talking about, but there are certain publishers out there who just charge a premium for their stuff for reasons that escape me. Right. And their binding does not hold up to mild use. Right. Right. Especially... Especially because they're they're glued together on the back and they're not really sewn very well. And for that reason, especially if you start to use it on the regular, you're going to find pages starting to fall out. You'll find pages that the, the spine will crack. And so, yeah, just because something is expensive doesn't mean that it's well made. 
It just might be expensive. You need to prove that it is well-made through that, you know, through these kinds of publishers that, you know, have a a track record of actually producing well-made Bibles. Yeah. And everything we've mentioned has been a sewn binding. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't, you, and of course the difference here being, and again, this is coming from uh, book construction, books are put together so that the groups of pages are usually sewn together. Well, that's what we mean by sewn. So that there's actually thread in the spine that's holding all of the pages together. That's a very strong kind of construction. Now, on the other hand, a lot of books, especially paperbacks these days, are glued together. There's no sewing at all involved. They just kind of line up the pages, slap some glue on it, and you know, throw a cover over it. And that works fine for paperback covers um, and those kinds of books because you usually don't use them more than a few times, once or twice or maybe a handful of times. But if you have a book that you're going to continuously use over and over and over again, a glued spine like that is eventually going to break and you'll have to get a new one. Yeah. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering like, hey, Goys, why aren't you... Why aren't you telling us? Why aren't you telling us who to avoid? It's because we'll end up with a cease and desist letter, or we'll end up with some kind of like vaguely threatening Facebook message if we name them. So we're just going to keep it to the positive for now, right? And and, and mention a few companies positively, right? And then you may read between the lines, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll. we'll We'll leave it at that. We won't draw a map or anything like that. We won't comment on shipping or anything like that. We'll just we'll just we'll just leave it where it is. We'll just leave it where it is. Yep. <laughs> and so, like we said, there 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 are places that specialize in, in Bibles and they do well. And a couple of the companies we've mentioned, like uh, Crossway, for example, they do have a very good Bibles in kind of the mid range, so you can get a around the. Fifty to a hundred dollar mark, they have some good stuff. But a lot of what we've talked about, you're looking at the hundred and fifty to two hundred and twenty dollar price range, right. which sounds like a lot of money for a Bible, but it is a product that will last you forever. When you're paying much more for a for a phone or for action figures or whatever you do in your free time, season tickets to whatever. I don't know what you people do for fun, but it, it really is. It, it it hurts up front if you can't, you know, so save up for it. Make sure you're not starving to get it or something like that if you have a family or something. But you say 200 bucks for a Bible and people are like, bah, they just give those things away. And, and yeah, that's true. But it really is worth it really is worth the investment. Oh, absolutely. And so, I- and so you look at like Crossway is going to be a place where, especially if you're looking for an ESV, you're going to be able to find some very nice ones at reasonable prices. If you're looking for a King James version that is bound very sturdily and that and that they have very a variety of cool editions, you need to go to the Trinitarian Bible Society. They only do King James and they have some very cool editions. Uh like my favorite they do is what's called the Windsor text and I have a Windsor text that even includes the metrical Psalter in it. Mm-hmm. It was around $50. And is hands down one of the best Bibles I've ever purchased. Sure. Well, and the Trinitarian Bible Society in particular, they're based in uh, the United Kingdom. They are proof that you can produce a Bible very, very well, that you can make a very, very well-constructed book and still be relatively inexpensive, you know, because everything that the Trinitarian Bible Society produces is, it seems cheap, but it's the kind of book that's going to last you a very, very long time. I would even plug in yeah. here for those, you know, for pastors out there, if you're looking for a, a Greek Hebrew Bible, uh, the Trinitarian Bible Society actually produces a a Greek Hebrew Bible that's very, very well made and is something that um, is going to last a very, very long time. And it's and it's cheap, too. You know, it's not it's not the level of what you paid at seminary. I think, what is it, like 50 bucks or something like that? I don't remember what it is. Yeah, so. something, something like that. But no. as of this recording. As of this recording, yeah. I mean, and it's a great. Don't company. try to buy it on Sunday because if you go to their web store on Sunday, they actually close it down. Wholesome, wholesome is what. Very that wholesome. Is. We love to see it. We love to see it. <laughs> Not everybody does. They're going to get mad at that and go, "No, Sunday afternoons. I got my hour in. Now I can football post for eight hours." You know, now I can do that, but not not TBS. They're not. They don't want your money on on the Lord's Day. So that's very. 
Very wholesome. Very, very wholesome. But all these other ones, uh, outside of the Trinitarian Bible Society, the Cambridge editions, like Crossways, Crossway Heirloom, Allen, Schuyler, you can find them on Amazon or you can find them on what I think is probably my favorite place to get premium Bibles would be evangelicalbible.com. Right. Because they always have things in stock, and if they don't, their communication is very good. I did not buy my long primer from them because at the time it was out of print. And so I had to get it directly from Allen. And so it, it got shipped from the UK. But honestly, it was very, it was really cheap to ship from the UK. I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if I got some kind of like heritage discount or something. I don't know. But it was quick and quick and cheap. And anyway, if you're looking for the long primer that I've really puffed up, now is the best time to buy one because they are A, available, and B, they've redone the plates. So the old plates huh. they've been printing with since the 50s, They've now fixed everything up, so the text is actually crisper and clearer than it's ever been. Huh. Well, there you go. No, there you I, go. That's, that's wholesome, too, that they wore out printing plates producing these that things. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would, you know, of course, plug my, my uh, Cambridge Clarion, which I've talked about, or any of the Cambridge's products. You know, they, they do a very good yeah. job with producing Bibles. I've had this one for, let's see. Oh, going on five or six years now, because I got it towards the end yep. of the seminary. I I have very few complaints about it, and it's still just as it's holding together just as well as the day I I, I bought it. Well, yeah. So. If, if the Allen like the Allen Long Primer is not something you can do, the Cambridge Concord is right up there. Sure. So these Cambridge editions are are great, and the Concord's a like the Long Primer two column reference Bible. I mean. We just have to live with red letters. I'm just not a big fan of the red letter editions. I know a lot of people <laughs> like them, but it, it gives it gives too much weight to this idea that that when God talks in the Old Testament, it's not Jesus. Right. I just like to keep it not text if I can. <laughs> uh, the Schuyler Quintel, we know we've got a listener, a very faithful listener who loves the Schuyler Quintel. That's another double column one to look at. I think that's a very good Bible, very solid choice. Uh, Skylar, not spelled like what you would think it is, but right, and 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 we'll we'll link to some of these in the show notes so you have something to to look for too. Skylar, of course, being a Dutch company that produces a lot of very very good Bibles, uh, they also have their thin line versions, which are kind of a little bit less expensive and also a lot more portable because they're they're well they're thinner, right? And so, yeah. you know, if you're looking, if portability is an issue for you, although I will say that a lot of these Bibles we're talking about, you know, they're just the size of normal sized books. They're not, you know, overgrown things kind of a thing. You know, that's something to look into as well. So, yeah. And most everything we've mentioned are are usable Bibles. When you get into like, I mean, the, the ESV preaching Bible is borderline too big. The NASB preachers Bible is and it, I forget the name of that publisher. Is that the Mac? Uh, that's Brick? the John MacArthur. That's the yeah, the Mac Brick, the John MacArthur designed one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that a uh, three sixteen publishing. I think that is probably far too ungainly for anything other than pulpit use. Right. Although it does include four ribbon markers. Ribbon is the most precious commodity in the world. You know this, Willie. Yeah, to get to get more than two or even one ribbon in a Bible nowadays, you really have to pay a premium. I don't know. I don't know what a spool of ribbon costs, but it must be a lot. <laughs> so, and I would say that look for a Bible with you can live with two, but if you can find a Bible with three, you know that's the stamp of quality. And if you're a lectionary minded person and you're listening to Word Fitly, so you probably are, you really almost have to have three. Unless you go back to the old days, then you really only need two, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that is one of my major complaints, of course, with the Clarion. The Clarion only has two ribbons, and sometimes it would be nice to have three or even four. But as it is, I mean, it's still a, it's still a great Bible. So, But all of these Bibles that we've been talking about, and just so that we're upfront and clear with everyone, you know, these are Bibles, for the most part, that are going to be more of your higher range, a little bit more expensive Bibles. But it is something that you do want to invest in. It is something you do want to spend a little bit of money on because, like I said, uh, spending money on these well-made, put-together Bibles is going to be an investment that's going to last you a very, very long time. So instead of buying a 
you know, a paperback or something that only costs you five bucks, but you can only use it for a couple of months before it completely breaks. You buy something now, yes, it costs you a little bit more money, but it is something that you will have for many, many, many years to come. So it really is right. a, a good investment for the future. I feel like this is one of our most like dad centric episodes. That's okay. Like sit down, son, and let me <laughs> let me tell you how to do things. <laughs> let me teach you how to ride a bike, how to shave, how to buy a Bible. <laughs> That's okay. And and I don't like and I don't like it because it almost sounds like it's a luxury item. I, I wouldn't. I don't look at it as, a, as as a luxury item. Look at it as an heirloom item. Right. You know, or or something made for heavy use. And and go with it from that. But sorry, you were saying. No, well, I, I think I think the heavy use aspect is probably the the biggest one here. The heirloom is important. It is something that you know, if it's well made, you will be able to hand down to your children someday, and that is a very well, heirloom awesome quality feeling. is what I'm saying. Heirloom quality, yeah. But for a heavy use Bible, the kind of thing that you're gonna carry with you to church, the kind of thing that you're gonna read on the daily, the kind of thing that you know you're gonna sit down and work with. Even for, you know, even if it's just for a short period of time, but multiple times a day or just, you know, every day kind of a thing, it's something that is going to last. And it isn't yeah. that something that is, you know, worthy of God's word. Absolutely. And everything we mentioned, you know, from those mid-ranged Trinitarian Bible Society ones all the way up through through Allen and Schuyler and others, you know, they're all very, very serviceable. You've kind of got like the Ruger level down with the Trinitarian Bible Society, these these efficiently made tanks, all the way up to like your Wilson combat level of Bible with the Schuylers and the, and the Allens and Cambridges. Right. So, you know, really a, a lot to chew on there. Well, Zelwyn, we're coming up on the end of the episode. I hope we haven't uh, bored you. And if we did, I, well, I really don't care that much. You needed to hear it. So, uh, Zelwyn, any, any last words? Well, and I think maybe just to re reiterate what we've been saying, you know, invest in a well-made Bible, if only because it's something that's going to last, if only because it's something that's going to be, that's going to put up to the abuse, if only it's because it's something that you're eventually going to hand down to your children. But above all, use that Bible. You know, having the most expensive Bible in the world or having a whole pile of them in the world isn't going to do you any good if you aren't actually taking them up and reading them. So... If, if you can't afford one of these kinds of Bibles right now, that's okay. You, you shouldn't feel like this is somehow, you know, saying that, you know, you're, you have something less or something inferior. What's the important part is, is that you actually read the Word of God, because it is through that Word that we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Very good. Thanks a lot, Zilla. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. God love you, and God bless. Many other things we might give the warning of, gentle reader, if we had not exceeded the measure of a preface already, it remaineth that we commend thee to God and to the Spirit of his grace, which is able to build further than we can ask or think. He removeth the scales from our eyes, the veil from our hearts, opening our wits that we may understand his word, enlarging our hearts, yea, correcting our affections, that we may love it above gold and silver, yea, that we may love it to the end. Ye are brought into fountains of living water, which ye digged not. Do not cast earth into them with the Philistines, neither prefer broken pits before them with the wicked Jews. Others have labored, and you may enter into their labors. O receive not so great things in vain. O despise not so great salvation. Be not like swine to tread underfoot so precious things, neither yet like dogs to tear and abuse holy things. Say not to our Savior with the Gergesites, depart out our coasts, neither yet with Esau sell your birthright for a mess of pottage. If light be come into the world, love not darkness more than light. If food, if clothing be offered, go not naked, starve not yourselves. Remember the advice of the Nazianzine. It is a grievous thing or dangerous to neglect a great fair and to seek to make markets afterwards. Also the encouragement of St. Chrysostom. It is altogether impossible that he that is sober and watchful 
should at any time be neglected. Lastly, the admonition and menacing of St. Augustine, they that despise God's will inviting them shall feel God's will taking vengeance of them. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but a blessed thing it is, and will bring us to everlasting blessedness in the end, when God speaketh unto us to hearken, when he setteth his word before us to read it, when he stretcheth out his hand and calleth to answer, Here am I, here we are to do thy will, O God. The Lord work a care and conscious in us to know him, and serve him, that we may be acknowledged of him, at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with the Holy Ghost be all praise and thanksgiving. Amen.